0: Thank you. Um, I, I love, I, I was talking to Pastor Matt um, a while back, and he said that the wave, I mean, you guys have been to like a baseball game. The wave starts in the student section. Um, I love that, just that um, idea that um, our high school and junior high students are doing so much um, here in North County uh, for the name of Jesus. And it's a really cool thing. Um, let me turn this on real quick, get set up. Uh, thank you so much uh, amanda and gage for for sharing what God put on your heart and for the the worship band this morning for leading us in worship and the students that helped usher and greet and are just i'm so, I'm so proud of you and and I kind of want to turn that to to you guys as a church um, together. Thank you so much for investing in the next generation um, in junior high and high school ministry and kids ministry um it's so cool that we have a church that loves our students as they uh experience life in Christ. My name uh, is Joe Fogle. I'm the high school pastor here, and I have the wonderful opportunity, the best job in the world, of leading our high school students. God has been doing some cool stuff um, in our junior high and high school ministry. I mean, I could think of just winter camps and summer camps and mission trips and life groups and worshiping through music and campus ministries and Bible studies. It is so cool. I wish I could share all those stories with you this morning. Um, And uh, again, I just... uh, I thank you for being a part of it, and and as we learned from Gage and Amanda, just hearing a little little bit of what God is doing is such a cool thing. It's it's refreshing um, for us all. Uh, This morning, we uh, continue our series in the Gospel of John. Um, It's a study through, uh, I'm sorry, it's a study through the Gospel of Luke. John's pretty cool. I I like him too. Uh, (laughs) Um, If we were to ask this morning, if we were to pray to God the Father, and we were to say, hey, who is Jesus? Who is that man? Um, I think he would respond to us in this way. Joe, Seacoasters, just ask Matthew, ask Mark, ask Luke, and ask John. Four beautiful accounts of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus that we get to, we get to study and learn about Jesus. And he is ever more beautiful than we ever expected. And so we continue in the Gospel of Luke as we um, get to focus in this morning on some life-giving words um, for um, us today. Life-giving words 2,000 years ago to the people that heard it for the first time. And uh, later on um, in the story, we're going to hear a lot about Jesus' works, um, but this morning we're just going to focus on his words. And so um, if you can turn to your Bibles in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, we're going to read through the text, and then we're going to get started for this morning. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen provided for you. It starts off by saying this, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and began, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth, his hometown, where he had been brought up and he and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free this freedom for those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he, Jesus, closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondered at his gracious words, which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Isn't this not Joseph's son? And he, Jesus, said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, doctor, heal yourself. Whatever you have heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Pray with me as we begin. Lord, uh, thank you so much this morning for uh, just uh, meeting together as a church family. Lord, this is not a service, this is a gathering where we're reminded of your son Jesus. So we love you, we thank you, may you be our teacher, and uh, we just give you um, all that you have for us today. Thank you for the life that you've given us, friendships that we have, the knowledge, Lord, that we have, the resources that we have. Maybe we use that in Jesus' name, amen. So up, uh, to the, up until the point of this story, Jesus was baptized by this dude called John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, and then he was tempted by the devil, Satan, in, uh, in the desert. And so Jesus is living this life, um, living an empowered life and full of the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit is anointed um, by, Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit at baptism. And then Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit as he's led by, the, um, led by the Spirit in the desert to be tempted by the devil. And that's what we covered up to this point in the Gospel of Luke. So Jesus experienced this divine confirmation, this divine empowerment, this divine anointment by the Holy Spirit during his baptism and temptation. And Jesus also calls us into that lifestyle. He calls us into that living today to be full of the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. You see, if we think of God's grace, God's grace is ultimately defined and described and manifested through the sending of his son Jesus and through the gift of the Holy Spirit that we get, that we, that we have, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We worship this, um, this triune God. And so it's like explaining um, the Trinity to junior hires. I don't work with junior hires, but this is when I do. Um, this is how I explain the Trinity. I go like this. I go, boom, boom. Yeah, that's how I explain the Trinity to them. You know? That's how I explain it. It's, it's a mystery, but it's so beautiful. We worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. And the Holy Spirit um, comes in to live with believers, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The moment that you do that, you have the Holy Spirit with you. The Holy Spirit leads, guides, convicts, comforts. Um, he empowers the Holy Spirit as teacher. This morning, I'm not teacher Dale's not teacher. Ryan's not teacher. Matt's not teacher. Any guest speaker's not teacher. Nobody in the church is a teacher. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. It's a beautiful thing, and the Holy Spirit does this, and he, he comes alongside. He helps us to love. He helps us to learn. He helps us to live the ways of Jesus in the here and now. I got off the phone with my family on, on the East Coast. I have some family in Washington, D.C. I have some family in Brooklyn, New York, and Um, I get off the phone with them, and we're kind of hanging out. And uh, they said, "How's the weather?" Because it's really cold where they're at. So I flipped my camera on FaceTime, and I and I pointed outside my door, where I'm where I'm here in in uh, San Diego. And it was this bright, sunshiny day. It was really beautiful, and uh, they're kind of jealous of that. And um, but there's two things that my family does when they come visit um, SoCal. They uh, two things are: they first get off the plane, and they go to In-N-Out. They get their burger. And then throughout their stay here, they eat in and out And before they leave, um, they go to In-N-Out and they hop on the plane to LAX and they head back home. Um, the other thing they do besides going to In-N-Out is they go to the beach. How many of you guys love going to the beach? How many of you guys love surfing? How many, like, live, I know some of you, like, live super close to the beach, but you don't go, right? <laughs> I remember I, um, I'm not picking on, I know some of you high schoolers. There's some high schoolers in this room, they're like, I'm like, you have a pool in your backyard. I'm like, you swim in it? They're like, No. You have got to be kidding me. It's right there. You should enjoy it. But I, I'm just a, as a, at fault because I don't enjoy the beach the way that I should enjoy the beach. My wife, Amanda, and I often um, are asked, How's the beach? And uh, we kind of uh, say, it's, it's good. We haven't really been lately because um, I'm not a surfer. And I mean, does it count when you like, drive the 101 and wave, it, wave at the water? <laughs> like That's not fully enjoying what it is. But it's so familiar, it's so close. That sometimes we don't enjoy it the way that we should. My wife and I, um, with our daughter, um, she's one, we decided to take more beach walks together and to enjoy that as a family. And, and uh, it involves picking up rocks, picking up shells, um, eating lots of sand. Saying hi to birds. If we didn't have our daughter with us, people would think we we're crazy because we're like waving at birds and talking to them. Um, it's a really fun time. But my, when my wife and I cruise, and we have our uh, daughter in her little pack, whether in the front or in the back, and we're walking together as a family, we hold hands, my wife and I. It's really cute. And uh, and sometimes we bring each other in, like close to each other. And so we're like we're walking together. My my arms around her waist, her arms around my waist, and we walk together. And I'm a bigger dude, so I have to like pay attention to my steps as I'm walking. Because I'm size 12 shoe and I'm 6'2 and I'm, I'm kind of frumpy and like Wreck-It Ralph at times. And so as we walk together, I have to pay attention. And when she walks with me and I walk with her and we keep in step with one another, it's a beautiful walk. We enjoy it. There's, there's harmony. There's, I mean, it's, it's just a lot of fun. When we don't keep in step with each other, when we're out of sync and we're like looking at birds or eating sand, like we don't keep in step with each other. It's, there's not a lot of harmony there. Um, the walk is not enjoyable. And um, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament talks a lot about this, uh, it's an all-encompassing metaphor, it's called walking in the Spirit. And walking in the Spirit is keeping, or as Paul, other translations say, keeping in step with the Spirit. We're keeping in step with the Spirit. As the Spirit leads us, we're walking with Him. We're aware of His guidance, His teaching, His counsel, His empowerment. We're aware of what He's doing in our lives. As the Spirit points to Jesus, Jesus points to the Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father points back to Jesus, and Jesus points back to the Spirit, and they're all working together in this beautiful dance. That's the God that we worship, and we see that most beautifully at the baptism. The Father says, my son, I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends down upon Jesus, anoints him for ministry. I'm like, who, what's the God that we worship? Take a look at the baptism, and Brian talked about that a little bit um, a couple weeks ago. It's a beautiful thing. But this idea that are we keeping in step with the Spirit? We must learn how to follow Jesus and learn how to keep in step with his Spirit. We can't follow Jesus on our own. We need the Spirit's help, and we need each other's help to stay on task. So Jesus is empowered and full of the Holy Spirit and does the will of the Father perfectly on our behalf. And so we pick up the story in chapter 4, verse 14, and it says this, And Jesus returned to Galilee, his hometown area, in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district, the entire vicinity, and and he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised. He was acclaimed by all. And so Jesus uh, returns to his, his hometown area, Galilee, and uh, in the power of the Spirit, he is anointed, he is filled, he is empowered by the Holy Spirit to teach a specific message about the good news of, of God, and he's going to teach this b- both through word and deed, and we're going to be focusing on his word, his words uh, this morning. So news about him spreads that he's this miraculous, spirit-filled teacher, preacher, and so there's a period of popularity that Jesus has. He teaches in the synagogue because he knows um, his Old Testament very well. Jesus is getting the message out about himself. He's revealing that God sent him. Jesus attends church gatherings, which is a really cool thing. He, Jesus doesn't say, hey, just like, you know, meet together. Like, that's something that he um, regularly did. And uh, he was praised by all. There were people around him that were saying, who is this man? What is he about? And so Jesus is a spirit-filled, very popular teacher, preacher, receiving praise by all. And he ends up going to his hometown, Nazareth, where he would soon be rejected by the people who, know, who knew him the best. And so when, often when you go to your hometown, you're usually accepted and loved, especially if you're popular, especially if you're famous, especially if you have something that like people think like, oh, that dude's really cool. Um... Especially we see this in sporting world, right? So when when your team plays at your hometown or your home city, like, it's awesome. Family and friends can come. You don't have to travel to go see them. Like, that is a time where they experience love and acceptance when that sporting um, team plays at their hometown. We see that in music as well. Um, When you go on tour, you either start at your hometown or you end at your hometown or you do a little bit of both. Um, Usually you get a lot of love when you play your hometown show. That's, like, your favorite show if you're a musician. Um, I looked up some famous people, some notable people um, lived in or around San Diego. And we have a couple cool ones. We have Tony Hawk, pro skater. That guy's really awesome. Rob Machado, pro surfer. Tom DeLong, Blink-182. Anybody like that San Diego song? Coming back to San Diego. Yep. (laughs) I'm glad I'm from here now. Forget about Orange County. Um, Eddie Vedder uh, from Pearl Jam. guy's awesome. Um, Dude went to SDA. It's really sweet. Um, Sean White, if you're watching the Olympics, gold medalist, half pipe. It's our homeboy right here, right? He's from San Diego. Now if these guys grew up, let's say, in Encinitas or North County and they came back home, we'd be so excited to see them. We would so want to welcome them and be a part of everything that they've accomplished. But Jesus goes back to his hometown and he doesn't get this love and approval. He actually gets rejected. Jesus rejected in Nazareth. Let's read in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, his hometown. It's a small town where he had been brought up. Think about all the childhood memories that Jesus has. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Now, Jesus wasn't just a visitor to his hometown. Um, He grew up there. Often when you uh, knew um, the scriptures and you were a teacher and you traveled to a local synagogue, a local place where you gathered to worship, you would often be asked to read. And so Jesus wasn't just uh, a visitor. He was a local. And uh, so the people there knew Jesus, and therefore they would be less likely or open to think of Jesus in new ways, right? Um, and so what did they know about Jesus? Well, they knew that he was a local. They knew he was from their hometown, Nazareth. He grew up in the town. They knew he they knew his father, Joseph, his mother, Mary. He was the son of a carpenter. They knew his brothers and sisters. Luke uh, 2.40 says that Jesus grew and became strong. Jesus was filled with wisdom. God's favor was upon him. So those things that they might have known, but... They did not think of Jesus as a prophet sent by God. They didn't think of Jesus as a very important man. They didn't think of Jesus as a miraculous man. So Jesus was definitely not savior. He wasn't Messiah. He wasn't redeemer. He wasn't fixer of people's bad news. He just wasn't that man because they knew him oh too well. It's just little Jesus. So on the Sabbath, Jesus enters the synagogue, unrolls the Hebrew scroll to Isaiah 61, and begins to show his hometown who he really is. Continue with me in verse 17. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book or the scroll and found where it, it was written. He knew exactly where he was going. In his Bible, there wasn't chapter divisions, there wasn't like there wasn't commentaries, it was just I mean, he knew exactly where he was going. And he reads this. This is what we're gonna unpack a little bit this morning. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Holy Spirit is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives recover sight to the blind, to free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and all the eyes were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So what is Luke trying to communicate? What does this say about Jesus? Who is this man? He talks about Isaiah 61 and a little bit from Isaiah 59. Well, Jesus is applying Old Testament prophecy, some 700 years before the time of Jesus, he's applying it to himself, to his mission and to his ministry. The good news, this future hope that God's people have been waiting for has arrived in Jesus' own ministry. So Jesus reads from Isaiah to describe the good news that he brings. So let's read it together. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. They waited during this time for the Spirit to be fully poured out upon the people, not just specific times, specific locations and incidences, It was to be poured out on everybody, and they waited for this time. The Holy Spirit would come, but he would never stay upon people. So they waited and longed for this time. So Jesus is the Spirit-appointed prophet and Messiah, Because he has appointed me, it says, to preach the good news to the poor. There's Jesus' target audience, the poor, both physically and spiritually, those who recognize their need for God. And I talk about this in high school, and and I need to continue to apply it to myself. When I wake up in the morning, a good discipline would just be like, wake up and just say, Lord, I need you. So often we wake up and we say, I don't need you until something bad happens or until I come around and want to speak to you. But just to recognize daily that we need God that his message is for those that are physically and spiritually poor. Jesus is proclaiming the good news to himself. Those in his presence that knew Isaiah 61, maybe a lot of us aren't familiar with it. I'm not extremely familiar with the book of Isaiah. I haven't studied it in in depth. Um, I know of it, but the people that heard it knew what Jesus was referring to. They might have had images of a messianic king, a suffering servant. They might have had images of um, this future proclaimer of salvation. And so Jesus is recognizing and saying that the good news is for the people that are poor, the outsiders, those broken, those that recognize their spiritual need for him, those that are spiritually open, Jesus proclaims the following, that God has sent him to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord, the favorable year of the Lord. And he closes the book, gives it back to the attendant, and they're all looking at him. And he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled, but you're just little Jesus. You may be a good teacher, you may be gaining some popularity, but you are nothing more. So three thoughts as we've worked through this passage in Isaiah 61 and just kind of scratched the surface of it, but here's here's some thoughts. Jesus doesn't just proclaim these things, he fulfills them. He doesn't just proclaim good news, release, recovery, freedom from oppression, he actually fulfills them. Jesus doesn't proclaim this message of freedom and salvation, he fulfills them. In other words, Jesus is not just the messenger, he is the actual message. Salvation is coming through Jesus and him alone, and this is offensive, especially to those who know him best in his hometown. He is the weighted Messiah, and the salvation is available for all people. And he's fulfilling this in the here and the now. So Jesus doesn't, first, Jesus doesn't proclaim these things, he fulfills them. Second, the message of hope and salvation found in Jesus is available to all people. The message of hope and salvation found in Jesus, this good news, release, recovery, freedom from oppression, is available to all people. Galatians 3.28 says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ, Jesus. So he focuses on the poor and the outsiders and the needy, he focuses on people who need him. And when they, when they recognize that they need him, he begins to show his, his miraculous works, confirmation of his message. But if they don't recognize their need for him, he's not going to continue to show and reveal who he is. And at times, um, we have gospel forgetfulness, that we forget that Jesus and his message, uh, this good news that we read in Isaiah, applies to everybody Applies to your friend that you've had a falling out with. It applies to your annoying classmate. It applies to a family member you can't get along with. It applies to the person who makes your life so difficult. The gospel of Jesus, and it, it applies to everybody. And so often we think, oh, it applies to everybody, the whole entire world, but not to these people. And we don't maybe subconsciously we don't under, like we don't quite get it that it's for all people. I know there's some people in my life that, you know, I just, I'm not as open to sharing the gospel to because of pains that I've experienced in that relationship or because maybe they're not even on my radar. I just pass by them in everyday life that I only really talk to people who I want to talk to. We have to be open to recognize that the gospel is for all people. Are we available and are we open to teaching that? And the third thought is, Jesus was God's plan A from the very beginning. There was no plan B. Jesus is applying this passage to himself. And I I love this, and I teach this in high school ministry, that the, the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. The New Testament points backwards to Jesus. It is all about Jesus. It's a beautiful thing that Jesus fulfills this good news. The good news is for all people. And this was God's plan from the very beginning. In summary, Jesus is just saying, this is what you can expect of the Messiah, and by the way, I'm that Messiah. 21. Read the language, and he begins to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. If you were Jesus' hometown friends that grew up with him, you're hearing those words. Today, scripture has been fulfilled in our hearing. Okay, Jesus, these are, these are good words, but, but really? And so the people's response In verse 42, and all were speaking well of him and wondered at the gracious words that were falling from his lips. And they were saying, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? I mean, we know him. He's the son of a carpenter. He's Mary's kid. We know his brothers and sisters. We know he grew up up with us. So the, the people of Nazareth are impressed by Jesus, but they aren't necessarily persuaded. After all, we know him. One author says this, this event becomes a snapshot of Jesus' entire Galilean ministry will be like. It becomes a snapshot of that. People will be amazed at his teachings and claims and yet they will not flock to him. Because the text Jesus reads in Isaiah is supposed to be fulfilled in the Messianic era, his hometown people don't see their Jesus as the Messiah. They don't see their time as the end time salvation has come, the good news has come, and so they are not ready to accept Jesus Simply put, the people of Nazareth are cautious about messianic announcements from Jesus, especially from Jesus, the man that they know, that they knew oh too well. And I was talking to Matt Carlson, one of the pastors here, and um, he shared it with me this week as we were kind of working through this text and looking at it. He was saying that um, they seem to be more excited about the anticipation of Messiah versus the actual arrival of one. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> that totally makes sense. I mean, they marvel at Jesus, but they, but they are not ready to make him Messiah, Jesus amazes them with his words, but they are oh too familiar. Just like I'm so familiar with the beach. I'm too familiar with it. It's, just, it's, it's gotten old. It's, there's nothing new that I can really get from it. The ocean has so much beauty there, and so does Jesus, even that much more. They can't get past the understanding, isn't this Joseph's son? They're skeptical. The people won't believe, and so they will reject Jesus. And this becomes a foreshadow of everything that happens in Jesus' life. At the end of his ministry, the the crowds reject him. The Jewish people reject him. The Jewish religious leaders reject him. The Romans reject him. Those in seats of power reject him. Even a thief on the cross rejects him. Jesus is rejected, and all of us here as well have rejected him. That's why we need the good news, to receive him and to say, I'm sorry for what I've done. Thank you. You are all that I need. And so it's just a foreshadow of Jesus' whole entire ministry, teaching, preaching, showing them who he really is, but then getting rejected in the end because that was God's plan from the very beginning. So later in the story, when Jesus made himself more than an ordinary man from Nazareth and that his mission reached beyond his chosen people, even to the Gentiles, they were deeply offended, they were upset, and they decided to want to throw Jesus off a cliff, but he passed by them. Where it says he passed through their midst. Interesting, so this this whole hometown kid comes back as a man that almost leads to attempted murder. People are okay with Jesus being a miracle worker, but nothing more. And notice the response in verse 23, it says this. And he said to them, No doubt you will quote the proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do now hear in your hometown as well. Listen to that language. He said, you're going to quote this to me. Doctor, heal yourself as if Jesus needed to be healed rather than him being the ultimate healer. And they said, he notices that they want him to perform these miracles that he is, he's gaining popularity and, and gaining approval. And they want him to perform those types of miracles, but they're not ready to make him Messiah. And so our response uh, this morning, um, there's a few thoughts that I wanted to share with you. Um, the first one's this, what areas in your life are you viewing Jesus as less than who he really is? We all experience this as well. We all view him a little bit less than who he really is. And that's why we're going through this series, Who's That Man? So we can experience more of the fullness of who he is. and The implications of the gospel and the gospel itself. Bringing us salvation and life. Which areas in your life are you viewing Jesus as less than who he really is? Even John the Baptist, the forerunner before Jesus, and he baptized Jesus, he even said, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. I'm not worthy to even untie his shoes. Jesus must increase, we must decrease. What areas are you viewing Jesus less than who he really is? And Luke focuses a lot on Jesus' humanity, and it's so beautiful. That Jesus is 100% man, but he's also 100% God, and how that works itself out is confusing, but it is the truth that we read within Scripture, that he's this God-man. But we can't focus too much on his humanity or else we forget that he is Savior. We can't focus too much on his humanity or else we forget that he is Lord, that he is more than just a prophet. He is the Messiah. He is bringing this good news that we read in Isaiah 61 to the lives back then and to our lives today. Second thing is this why do we believe that Jesus isn't enough? What is holding us back from seeing that? Why do we believe that Jesus isn't enough? I mean, Jesus came and died and, and lived amongst us. He understands us, and He understands our needs, and He brings the good news directly to those needs. Do you question that Jesus' words apply to your life? This good news of release, recovery, freedom from oppression. Number three, is the good news of Isaiah 61 that Jesus fulfills is a good news to you? I love this. Or are you, like the people in Nazareth, too familiar with Jesus that his ministry and message either doesn't apply to your life at all, meaning you've never really met him, or it no longer applies to your life, meaning you have received Christ, but he is just becoming old news. Is the good news found in Isaiah 61, good news to you. Does it apply to your life today? Or does it no longer apply to your life? And you're just kind of going through the motions. Um, I believe this morning that Jesus wants to set us free in a lot of areas of our lives. The Holy Spirit is our teacher, and there's a couple cool points here, and I hope we learn from the life of Jesus how he got rejected and how ultimately he's going to be rejected and sent to the cross, die and be raised from the dead. And then going and, and visiting and, and appearing to more than 500 brothers, appearing to the disciples, appearing to Paul, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Spirit of God is working here in North County, working here at Seacoast in our lives, and is teaching us that we need to make more of Jesus, that we need to understand that he is enough, and that we need to understand that his words as he starts to unravel his ministry and his message found in Isaiah 61, therefore for us. And here in North County, we don't have necessarily a lot of poverty, even though we do have the poor. Um, I was talking to even some of the staff here at Seacus. We were kind of chatting through what are some of the areas that we experience poverty because he says the good news to the poor, well, we're poor relationally. We have broken families. Maybe that's an area that we can bring good news to um, in our community. The Spirit of God wants to set us free and restore us back to the Father. And that happens when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but that also happens on a daily basis, turning all of our unbelief into belief so we can learn how to walk in the Spirit, so we can step together and, and uh, as the Spirit points us to Jesus and Jesus points us to the Father and this beautiful God that we love and we see is working in our lives. When I went to Bible college, one of the professors was sharing with our classroom, and it really stuck out to me. And he said this. He said, Jesus is not your butler, your magical genie, or your personal therapist. I was just like, boom. Like for me, like then, it hit me, and it still hits me today. He's not just my butler. Whenever I need him, I'm going to ring a bell. He's not my magical genie. This just going to grant me every wish that I want. He's not my personal therapist, where I just talk to him always about my problems. He is so much more than that. And so as we go through this series, we really want to ask that question, who's that man? And we really want to be changed by it, that this message is for all people. So I love you guys. Let's pray as we continue to worship. As I invite the band up, <clears throat> um, Father, thank you so much that, um, that you are a teacher. Lord, I don't know all the needs in this room. This room doesn't know all the needs in my life. or on this stage with these students. But Lord, we recognize that we need you. May that be a daily reminder that we need the good news of your son Jesus, and it applies into all areas of our life. And Lord, it's not something that we just hold on to and get, but it's something that we share. Thank you, Lord, for the youth in this community. Lord, we pray for our country that ex- has experienced, especially in Florida, brokenness and pain and tragedy. And Lord, you are the good news to that, that you redeem, you heal, you restore, Lord, that you know exactly what took place, Lord, that you are ultimately the judge, you are ultimately the redeemer, you are the ultimately one that's going to take care of, of our brokenness. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that we recognize that we need you and that we love you and we just thank you for all that you're doing.